Today's episode, I spoke with Kate Campbell. Kate is the host of two podcasts, How to Money and the Australian Finance Podcast. Today, we explore how to put yourself in a position to be successful with your money. Kate Campbell is on the show today. Thank you for being on here, Kate. It's a massive, massive pleasure to have you on here. Yeah, so thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure. So I'm a fan of your podcast, How to Money, and you're also from the Australian Financial Podcast as well. You work at Rask, do you? Yes, yeah, yeah Rask Australia. So we've got lots of free financial education courses and investment research as well. That's, that's beautiful. I just wanted to kick off with your, your financial journey comes from wanting to help young people understand their personal finance a bit more and educate themselves. Tell us a little bit about that because I'm curious to know <clears throat> why young people are struggling with money and the impact that has on the following generations. Just give us a bit of your thoughts in relation to that. Yeah, well, I started well over four years ago when I realized I didn't really know anything about money, even though I probably should. I was having to pay taxes, so that was sort of a big indicator to me that I should actually learn something. I think um, that really got me started and got me learning as much as I could online and through different sources because I know there's a lot of challenges we have as young people, but we've also got so many opportunities to really take charge of our own life and our finances and the direction we take. And that really got me excited. When I started learning about my finances, I realized I wanted all my friends and all my family to learn about their finances as well, which sort of led me to start How To Money just as an easy way to share what I'd learned with my friends and family. And it just sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, that's... That's that's great. So what what do you think the financial future looks like for young Australians, particularly with career options and their attitudes towards money and investing? Yeah, I think it's definitely changing. I think a lot more young people are getting interested now than four years ago when I was just getting started, um, particularly with all sort of the Robin Hood GameStop saga over the last few weeks. Uh, it's been really interesting to see that young people are actually wanting to know what's going on in the market and wanting to sort of have their own say and get involved. And there's been so many apps and developments in Australia over the last few years uh, offering young people easier ways to start investing. So you don't need thousands and thousands of dollars to get started anymore. There's apps you can start with just $2. So I think there's so many more opportunities for young people really to just get started um, and have a go. And starting early gives you a lot more run room to make some mistakes and learn from them rather than having to figure it out in your 40s and i think that's it's really fantastic that young people are really taking charge of their life earlier rather than later which is really good to see yeah that's fantastic so i want to get i want to dig deep into a little bit of your financial journey so you started your financial independence journey well over four years ago am i right yeah yeah so what are some of the th what I want to know what that was like and what are some of the things that you've learned throughout this journey? Yeah, so I, I guess I don't know if you've talked about it on the podcast before, but the idea of financial independence retire early where you've got enough to uh, live on off your investment portfolio without having to rely on a nine to five. Um, that was really a I guess I started working full time out of high school and I, when I did my first tax return, I realized I'd save nothing and I'd actually earned some money over the years. So that really got me started saying, well, I've got to make a change because I don't want to get to the end of every single financial year and realize I've got nothing in my bank account. 
Um, and then as I just kept learning, Googling, sort of I, a lot of people when they get interested in the idea of financial independence go down a, a complete Google rabbit hole, um, reading every single article they can find online. But I, yeah, I read so many books, uh, probably not podcasts back then because there weren't too many around, um, but just everything I could. And then I discovered the idea of financial independence and that kind of changed everything to me. Um, knowing that you could put yourself in a position that you'd be entirely self-sufficient uh, for the rest of your life. And I, I guess I like the idea of being able to always look after myself. And so the idea of financial independence really appealed to me. Um, and I think the, the last four years have really taught me that it's important to get the big things right. Like if you get your investment portfolio right, if you get your superannuation right, if you sort of get your career in the direction that you want it to go, um, if you keep your cost of housing down, then it doesn't really matter if you're having that $3 coffee every day. Well, now they're $4.50 where I went the other day. But, um, yeah, you don't have to focus on these tiny little decisions if you get the big things right. Um, and something else I've learned over the last few years is it's really important to be patient and have a long-term approach because I guess when I started, um, I was thinking, oh, this can all happen really quickly. But to achieve financial independence, it's for most people, it's a 10 to 20 to 30 year journey and you can achieve it. Like anyone can achieve it, but they have to be patient and long-term um, approaching this. Uh, that doesn't really make sense, but really just thinking with a, a long-term mindset rather than wanting to uh, get everything overnight. Yeah, that's, that's great. So you found yourself in that, um, rabbit hole of fire reading blog posts were you were you going into the reddit um community community pages as well or the fire financial independence community board yeah i actually never heard of reddit until a few years ago so i hadn't oh, actually wow. discovered reddit, but <laughs> i don't think i had got quite that far down the rabbit hole but i just i definitely um discovered blogs like um, the Fioneers and Mr. Money Mustache and uh, the Frugal Woods and all sorts of things. And they showed me a really a really broad range of approaches towards financial independence. Some people took five years, some people took 20 years, mm. um, lots of different career paths from teachers to engineers. So it showed me, I mean, most of the things I read were from the US at the time, but there was a path towards financial independence if you sort of came up with a plan um, and you were happy to work towards that plan over a long period of time and weren't going to hope everything magically solved itself overnight. Uh, yeah. And I guess that's the, that's the bloody thing, eh, Kate? With, with young people, uni students, the idea that you're going to have to, like, you're going to have to wait five plus years, maybe even 10 years to sort out, sort out your financial, um, your financial life just isn't appealing to that. No. It, it's not appealing to us at all. So what do you, I guess what I want to what I want to tackle is because there are two groups of people. The what, what I've noticed there are people who they call it investing, but they're obviously two different things. They want mm. they want to trade stocks, and they want a short term short term short term gain. Could you mm. just tackle that a little bit for us? Because just just we just need a bit of clarification for that. The, yeah, the difference absolutely. between trading and investing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, delayed gratification is really hard. Um, I guess with trading, you're um, buying and selling things on maybe a daily, a weekly basis. You're hoping, I guess some people do become full-time traders, but that is a very, like, very small minority. Um, if you're looking, you might find a few on Twitter. But for most people, investing is the way to go, especially if you don't want to make your life about money and finance. You actually want to focus on 
other things like um, work and going for hikes on the weekend. You don't really want to be looking at your portfolio and thinking what you're going to do next all the time. So I think for most people, investing's the best way to go. It means you can sort of come up with a plan. You can say, I'm going to invest on a monthly basis, and then you don't have to really worry about it on a day-to-day basis because um, looking at your portfolio every like 20 minutes during a, when the market's open isn't really a healthy approach. Um, it's definitely hard to think about things on a 20-year time frame, and, and that's why so many Australians don't really get involved um, and stay on top of their superannuation because we're not going to be able to touch that money until sort of 65, 70. I mean, it might be pushed way back to 80 by the time that we get to that age. Um, and it's really hard to think about things because we've definitely got that sort of short term. I want to, I've only got one life. I want to live it mindset, but then you also don't want to get to the age of 60 and have nothing left for your retirement. So it's really about having, you've got to balance the two. You've got to work out how can I achieve some short-term goals and also achieve my long-term goals. And you really can't have it all. You're going to have to pick one or two things. Um, I, there's this podcast in the US called Afford Anything and the host Paula Pan always goes, you can afford anything but not everything. And I really Love I really like that because it sort of reminds you, yes, you could go on that holiday next year, um, but you can't also, also have this and this and this. You can't have the new car. You can't join this club. You can't do that activity. So you need to pick one. I really think just having one short-term, medium and long-term goal at a time with your finances. Um, otherwise, it can just you can end up achieving nothing. So it's really about focusing on a couple of things at once and really getting, if you want to go on that holiday next year, then focusing on that as well as making sure you're looking after your superannuation and your investments for the long term um, and not trying to do everything at once. Yeah, that's that's perfect actually. Even with superannuation as well, you, you that's it's such a big asset, but it's something you mm-hmm. can just set and go, right? You could just set it yeah. even... Even um, and if you want to accelerate that as well, many people, many people don't know about about uh, extra contributions, the salary sacrificing that they can do for that because it's pretty much the biggest asset you have, your super. Which is, yeah, which is quite fascinating. So talk us a little bit about talk us through your investment strategy since you're. Yeah, it definitely has evolved over the last few years. I mean, at the very beginning when I was just getting started, I was probably more um, doing as we mentioned the trading side of things. I was. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have a plan. I hadn't sort of formulated any action steps. So I was buying something and then oh, it was green. So the next day I sold it. So I had really no idea what I was doing. I was just a young person with a little bit of money in a brokerage account. Um, but as I sort of went on, I realized, well, that wasn't really working. Maybe I made $100 here and there, but that wasn't going to change my life. Um, and I don't know if you've come across before, but the Money Smart Compound Interest Calculator um, is a pretty amazing have, yeah. resource, <laughs> especially if you're interested about what making small changes with your finances is going to have over the long time. So you can put in, I'm going to invest $50 a week over 40 years, maybe 7% return per annum on average. And you can actually see the crazy impact that will have on your finances over the long term because $50 right now is nothing, but the $50 is going to be life-changing in 40 years and sort of having a look at your finances as sort of a long-term project um, as something you can run in the background is 
sort of the way I started to think about it after a little while. It took a bit of time. Um, and I guess what my investment approach now is I focus on diversification. So I don't want to have all my money in one stock or one exchange traded fund ETF. Um, and I really think about making sure I'm sort of diversified across different asset classes. And I sort of, um, I take, it's probably changed over the last few years, but now I have a core and a satellite approach. So what does that mean? Um, like the core, I guess it's sort of that planet theory. So you've got the, the middle of the planet. Um, so the core is maybe 70% of your portfolio is invested in sort of exchange traded funds, very basic diversified across Australian, US sort of emerging market large companies. And then the satellite approach is what you want to dabble with on the side. So maybe it's um, individual stocks, or maybe you want to invest in some thematic ETFs like in robotics or biotechnology. Uh, maybe you want to invest in some, I don't know, some property funds, whatever that is, that sort of the higher risk, um, maybe less stable assets go around the, the edge of your portfolio. So you have the the core, the serious portfolio that really sort of stays the same. You just invest in a regular manner in that portfolio. And then the stuff around the sides, a bit more fun, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Not that investing should be too exciting, but I guess um, if you're investing over a long period of time, sometimes it's uh, fun to try something a little bit different. So if you decide, oh, I want to invest in um, this direct stock that I think is going to do really well, then maybe think, well, I'm only going to put 1% of my um, portfolio in this instead of 50%. Mm, mm, that sounds like a pretty, yeah, that sounds like a really interesting strategy. So what, for people who are listening, what does that, how long does that take to formulate that, that in sort of strategy and those financial goals and those investment in financial goals? Yeah. I mean, I'm still sort of building on it after about five years. So, um, <laughs> it's definitely a work in progress. And I don't, I don't think people should be afraid of just coming up with one plan and then never changing it. Because you can keep, as you keep learning about personal finance, so you might start at the very beginning putting $500 in just an Australian exchange traded fund. And then as you learn more, then you can slowly build out that plan and approach. And maybe you decide down the track you want to buy a property as well. So that starts to change your investment plan. So I think you've got to be flexible. Uh, for me, I kind of review it on a maybe a yearly basis. Um, and I go, this is how much I want to invest each month. This is where I want to put it. Um, can I automate any of that? Because I, I love automating as much of my financial sort of picture as possible so I don't have to think about it. Like if you can have direct debits happening, moving your savings around or your investments, um, that's a really great way to do it so you don't have to think about it because every time you have to think about it, the money could end up going somewhere else. Yeah, there's there's definitely an element of, of um, psychological inertia that goes, yeah. on, goes on there as well. And I mean, the goals change as well, because uh, for the last sort of like 2019, I spent pretty much the whole year saving up to go traveling around Europe. So that was really my main focus instead of investing for that year. Um, and then suddenly that changed. So I didn't actually go anywhere. So you're, you've just got to keep it fluid. And I think it's important to review it, like set a plan maybe at the start of the year. And then I usually put a calendar event in my diary sort of on the first of each month to review everything, make sure everything's gone, everything I wanted to be invested or saved has happened. If I didn't quite reach my goal that month, uh, was it because I spent too much or because something didn't work? Can I make any changes? So 
yeah, I think like have a monthly meeting with yourself because we spend so much time doing things for other people. Your finances are what's going to matter for yourself in the next little like 20 to 40 years. So make sure you actually schedule some time in each month to actually check in with your finances and make sure you're heading in the right direction. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. I like that idea of self-reflection well, at mm. least every once, once in a while, right? That's great. Yeah, I guess it like goes on Scott Papes, the money dates. The money dates. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Like, but I just call it like my monthly money like check-in in my diary. But it could be whatever you want. But it's just important that you actually do it and you check in and you don't just like hide it all under the rug because it gets too hard. Yeah, that's great. Kate, I want to talk about habits a little bit because I heard a really interesting, I, I was actually really involved in that discussion you were having with Dr. Gina Cleo, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was about forming financial habits and I wanted to know a little bit, how did you, how long did it take for you to form positive financial habits? And did yeah, you I... notice some of Gina's, Gina's tactics rest, um, retrospectively when you when you were chatting with her? Yeah, I think it's, I'm still trying to form financial ha- good financial <laughs> habits, but um, I guess every year I've been trying to improve it slightly. Um, I'm still struggling with the uh, the tax situation because I always end up with a, like a complete mess at the end of the financial year. And I've tried to... I'm, You're I'm doing it yourself, trying. right? Uh, I was, but last year was just <laughs> too much of a disaster. <laughs> I had to hand it off to someone. But they still want it all. Like You still have to give them a whole list of things. They don't just want a pile of receipts. They'd probably charge a fortune if you just gave them a, a shoebox filled of receipts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that was a really good conversation to think about the way you approach things. And I guess I became really interested in the idea of habits after reading James Clear's Atomic Habits, which I think nearly half the world's probably read. <laughs> I think he's sold I haven't read that yet, but I've heard about it. Copies. Yeah. Um, and he talked about the idea of habit stacking, which is something I I really liked. Um, I don't think Gina talked too much about it, but- Yeah, can you explain um, that for us, please? Yeah. yeah, so habit stacking, I'll just explain it in a, like a non-financial way first. So if you want to start doing 10 squats a day, for example, what is something else you do and you want to do it maybe every five times a day? And what is something else you do on a regular basis during the day? And for me, that was having cups of tea. Like I probably have five cups of tea a day, a bit Damn. addicted. But so I will actually, to stack that habit, I'll link it. So every time I have a, like, boil the kettle, I'll do 10 squats. And so that's a really simple example, but you can do it with other things with your finances. So every time you get paid, you transfer money to X bank account or you invest in X a dividend like the X stock sorry um or um even like what's another example like um once a bank account some people have a like a certain account where their money transfers each month and once it gets to two thousand dollars they then invest that money and that's sort of stacking that habit um so one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing um and I think another thing Gina talked about which is really interesting is actually thinking about the trigger behind the habits so um, you could just, if say you're having, you're spending too much money on, you decide you're spending too much money on Uber Eats. Well, instead of just saying, I'm going to cut out Uber Eats, actually thinking about why you're spending the money on Uber Eats. Is it because you didn't mm. plan your meals ahead? Is it because you're in a bad mood? Is it because you just don't have any time? Like thinking about what triggered the habit and then really working on the trigger and like, how can you use that trigger maybe as a force for good 
or you can actually deal with the trigger itself, like saying, well, I'm going to set like three hours on the weekend to prepare my meals for the week. Um, so I think that sort of ties into a lot of our, our finances. Often something will trigger us to make the decision we do, but we don't really think about that trigger itself. So that really sort of forced me to reflect on what triggers each of my actions or the things that I'm doing all the time that I don't really like that I'm doing. And I think for me, it was like having Uber Eats and wasting money there and actually thinking, well, could I organize meals um, ahead or put other things in place to stop me? Could I um, lock my card or stop having the money in that account or delete the app from my phone? So just sort of trying to actually deal with the reason for that bad habit was, yeah, that was something really interesting I think she talked about. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's interesting you mentioned that because you're, you're you're so right because so much so much of our spending is is emotionally driven and there's always <laughs> some emotional um, reason for for spending an extra extra bit of cash that we shouldn't have spent. Mm -hmm. Maybe we were feeling a bit upset. Maybe something. Maybe there's an event that happened that week and we yeah. we slowed without even knowing we unconsciously form that habit as a way to escape a particular mm -hmm. yeah a particular emotion, which is interesting. So how do you how do you solidified positive habits once you've identified about habits you obviously work on it and you go on the road of creating a new a new positive financial habit how do you create how do you make sure it's solidified yeah i think some of the the most successful methods that i've seen is the automation aspects so if you're not able to if you keep running out of money spending money by the end of each month you can actually it's kind of the, the reverse budget method so if you say i've got a thousand dollars for spending each month instead of starting with a thousand dollars in your transaction account and then ending the month um like 10 days before the end of the month you've got nothing left in the account so you have to transfer money out of your savings account um, for spending put the thousand dollars in the savings account and automate a transfer of um i think it's like a 27 dollars, but whatever a 30th of a thousand dollars into your say, uh, transaction account on a daily basis so every day you're paying yourself um your and if you don't spend that money then it sort of rolls over for the next day and you've got more money to spend so i guess that's one way to think about it sort of automating as much as you can so you don't have to think about it yeah. um, monthly check-ins are also a good way to check in with your habits or if for something if for some reason you're you just can't control your spending maybe you can use a budgeting app. Um, there's a few available. I know Frollo is a free one that I've used and it really categorizes all your spending and you can see what categories you're overspending and you can actually say, well, I'm going to put a limit on that category and things like that. So it can tell you, oh, you've spent like $50 of your food budget for the day or whatever it is. Um, so that's a good way. And also adding friction to things. So um, I know some people have actually like stuck something on their debit cards saying that they... Um, like think before you buy or tap or something like that. Or I think um, taking Apple Pay off your phone because that's so easy to just uh, check out on your phone um, or like shop without even thinking about it and taking um, like one-click purchase off your Amazon account. Uh, so adding a bit of friction here, if, if your issue is that you're spending mindlessly, make it harder to spend money. Mm. That, that's good advice adding some friction i haven't heard of that one before that's good so what do you what have you found that have been the biggest roadblocks for people holding them back from progressing or even getting started with their financial independence journey i think for a lot of people it either comes down to 
not knowing enough or not having the confidence to get started. Um, I think it's really important to get started before you think you've learnt the whole field because you can keep reading 100 plus finance books and at some point you're not going to really learn much more and it's really important to actually just take some actions. So um, as, a, as a young person, I think we've got the perfect opportunity. We don't have too much money, um, so we can't go too wrong. And maybe if we just start with $100, then even if we completely stuff up where we put the first $100, it's not too far to go back to the starting point. Whereas if you're starting in your 40s um, and you're starting with like $30 or $40,000 or even nothing, like there's a much you can't go back to the 20s and start again. So I think it's important to just have a go. Like there's so many resources online from podcasts like this to um, blogs. There's the ASIC Money Smart website. If you go to the library, there's always dozens of different books. Mm. Um, and even just talking to people as well, going to events um, and maybe sometimes YouTube. There's a lot of stuff that's probably not great on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just learn learn enough, maybe spend a couple of months uh, absorbing as much knowledge as you can and then just have a go. Start with your first couple of hundred dollars and um, then sort of assess the plan and see where you want to go from there. So I think it's really important to get started. And then once you've sort of figured out the basics to actually invest on a regular basis, if you're looking to become financially independent. And I think most people do in somewhat manner want to be able to look after themselves and their families financially and not have to worry when the next paycheck's coming in. So even if you don't have, if you, even if you don't want to be under the, like the fire banner um, mm. because you don't want to retire early and you don't really want to push yourself um, to save and invest um, for financial independence in 20, 30 years, I think taking some steps to look after your financial future is really important. And I guess the first step for most people is making sure they've got an emergency fund. So three to six months of your living expenses. I mean, that's where I started. Um, and I think for most people, that is a fantastic financial step they can take. Getting rid of their buy now, pay later and credit card debt, um, making sure <laughs> they're in a, a good financial position. Having that emergency fund just gives you so much more confidence to make some investments because um, I also don't recommend it starting investing before you've got the emergency fund and the the like the debts taken care of mm. um but yeah really thinking about that and also sort of confidence i think it's really important yeah just to have a go it's scary for everyone getting started no one sort of is born innately knowing about finance it's something that most people just learn by doing and immersing themselves in the field and getting it wrong i mean there's plenty of people i've met in the financial industry that don't know how to invest either. So it's not wow. it's not like you, they come out of the box with their commerce degree. Like plenty, plenty of people I know that have done commerce degrees don't actually know oh, what they should do with their money. So um, yeah, I think it's important to know that most people don't have it all figured out. Um, and the questions aren't stupid questions. Um, every question, like even like, how do I invest has been asked it's probably one of the most popular questions on Google. So everybody is asking the same question and there's so many resources out there. So, um, and, and just start talking to people. I mean, if you're in sort of capital cities, this like pre COVID, there's usually lots of events and meetups of people just wanting to learn about their finances. There's financial independence, Facebook groups um, that you can just lurk in the background and sort of start to read um, their conversations and see what's going on. So uh, I guess there's always uh, financial advisors for people, but there is sort of, if you've only got a few hundred dollars, that's usually prohibitive. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's it's important to just get started and have a go and don't don't be scared of getting it wrong when you're just getting started with a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah, I like that. Not everyone has it figured to figure it out. <laughs> no, no, like every, everyone I know, even like the analysts I know that sort of spend all day looking at stocks, they still are learning all the time yeah. um, and learning new things. Like everything, things keep changing. Like, um, so yeah, I, and there's always new investments popping up. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's just to know that it's like an ever evolving field, like every single field. And um, yeah, you just got to keep learning. Yeah, absolutely. So there's really no expert so to speak because everyone is still it's a field where everyone is still learning yeah even the people you see on tv they will Mm. know a lot about one topic but maybe they won't know a lot about others i guess that's why people Mm. really specialize so if you want to see someone about getting a property Mm. that would be a very different person to someone you'd want to see about your insurances to your share portfolio so i guess it's like like medicine everyone specializes into very niche sections yeah it's it's just so damn broad and i've always wondered how well people with finance commerce degrees how well that translates into personal finances and how well they do in there but i found that there's almost no correlation is no like you just mentioned yeah yeah and I, I i found it i guess i assumed when i entered the finance industry like with my very first job just sort of like as an operations assistant that everyone would know what they're doing and they don't like there's you can work in the industry in a very niche role in a niche business and not have any idea about the rest of the industry and it's quite easy for people to go their whole life living working in this tiny niche bit of the industry and not actually knowing about how to manage their own personal finances which is probably the one of the most surprising things i found when i started working yeah that's so you so okay i'm glad you you set out the prerequisite before investing making sure that you're clear of debt clearing all those silly debts like after pay buy now pay later kind of stuff what do you um do you recommend people use that those in anyhow anyways do you obviously a lot of it's targeted to a lot of young people a lot of university mm. students tend to get into that um buy now pay later kind of stuff but what are your thoughts on that i just want to get your thoughts on that very quickly yeah i think they definitely prey on that sort of short-term I want it now mindset because all of the ads are like you want those pair of jeans now just after pay it um or whatever there's like 10 different services now (laughs) Um, so it's becoming quite a saturated market of of choice because it's such Um, a low barrier to entry it's such a simple business model so easily reproducible (laughs) just get a bit of capital that you can lend out get an app um yeah I think um I mean, I'm not a huge fan, but if it's between, if you need, like if you have to buy some textbooks for your kid and it's between that or going into credit card debt or getting like a personal, um, like a shark loan that are charging you 20, 30% interest, then I think like the buy now, pay later is probably the preferable option because you can pay it off over the four payments or some of them have changed their payment periods now, but like you can just sort of pay for that one thing. But I think for most, so in that circumstance, I think it's a preferable alternative to the nasty loans that you can get or getting a credit card because that'll get you even more hooked over the long term. But I think it's really important not to, like you might use Afterpay strategically for a purchase, but it's important not to use that for every single thing you want to buy, like on a regular basis, just as like treating it as a line of credit. Um, And also I think 
it's a, like a dangerous sign once you start getting into multiple. Like you've got one thing on Zip, one thing on Afterpay, one thing on Klarna, um, because you could get yourself really into a nasty hole because you might have been able to afford the payments uh, on one of the services, but the time you've spread that across maybe four or five different buy now, pay later services, it could become something that you really, it could become this giant monster that you can't actually afford to pay back. So I think it was okay like once there was one when there was one service, but now because there's so many available, you can really get yourself into quite a nasty hole because most of them, I guess with credit cards, credit cards, they do a credit check and they actually can find out all of the other credit cards you currently have available. So they can go, oh, you've already got three credit cards. Maybe we won't give you a fourth. Um, but with the buy now, pay later services, most of them don't do proper credit checks. So you might have an afterpay and Zip have no idea about your afterpay debt. Yeah. And so you could end up with way more than you can handle. So I think it, it can be used strategically and it can be a preferable option to some other services. But in the most case, I think it's much more important to, if you really like this item, you put the $20, $30 away each week until you've got enough to buy the item in cash. Yeah. And that, that practices delayed gratification, which is really important for investing over the long term as well. Yeah, that's, no, that's great. That's glad i had got your thoughts on that one because <laughs> it's i feel like it's such a stitch up like you said they're just preying on that um instant gratification of, of young people and now and it's just yeah really, and it really gets weird. you gets you in that debt mindset like i'm Absolutely. gonna be hooked like credit yeah. and then the next month you end up on credit again you know what i actually read an article on smart companies saying that um people were actually missing meals in order to pay their their afterpay and buy now pay later yeah. products some were even there was a smaller percentage of people who were even pulling out post on loans in order to pay that which was i was like mm. doesn't that defeat the entire purpose of it but yeah 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 I, I think there can be uses but for most people it's they're just doing it so they can get the item they want now instead of saving for it yeah um, and that's why it's it's working so well with a young audience i mean mm. it is the rate of um, young people getting credit cards has gone down dramatically, which is a positive because credit cards, you can get yourself into like a $20,000 hole quite easily. Yeah. Um, Cause banks like until recently were offering really massive credit limits um, and they'd keep sort of sending you offers. They're not allowed to do it now, but they'd keep sending you offers to increase your credit limit um, to like 25 and then $30,000. Um, but some of the buy now pay leaders are offering quite large limits. Now I know, I know some of them like a, some of the like the online courses are offering buy now pay later and you can like use it for a five thousand dollar course to pay over a 12 24 month period and that becomes a lot more challenging to deal with than just sort of using it for a hundred dollar purchase wow yeah that's mm. that's very 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 dangerous because it almost it's pretty much do you think it's just a reflection of, of a person's financial insecurity and because if you're doing all the right things if you form the right men, um, financial habits you, you do you do all think we've, we've just spoken about you don't need to be using these buy now pay later products right mm. yeah i think it's definitely trendy at the moment like mm. it's kind of cool to after pay or use it for something um i mean back in the olden days you'd if you wanted something at target you'd put it on lay by and you'd yeah. come and you'd pay your quarter each week and then once once you'd paid for the whole item then you'd get the item so it was like a payment plan. Um, but now it's kind of you get the item first and then you pay later, which I think is a dangerous way to do it. And I mean, you can set up your own like after paying your bank account. You just say, I want this $300 item. 
every month for the next few months, I'm going to spend send $50 automatically from my savings, uh, like when I get paid, into this special account. And then you can pay for the item in full. I love that. So you can you can create your you can own become your own after <laughs> <pay. laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. That's actually perfect. I, that's a that's a like that's a massive takeaway. Um, so you've you're obviously you've been in the financial industry for quite some time now. You've clearly a well of knowledge, and I'm just picking your brain. What are some of the challenges you currently experience while working towards your fire your fire? Yeah, well, I, I guess long-term mindset is something I've had to sort of come to terms with over the last few years because it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's a 20-year goal. So it's kind of like once I've worked out that I want to become financially independent, I've put a plan into place, then it kind of you've read everything that you can read. It needs to sort of go into the background. So that's sort of been the sort of mindset shift I've had to have over the last two years is I don't think about financial independence every day now. Like for about a year or two, I was reading, listening to every single podcast. It kind of consumed my mind. Um, but now it's kind of in the background. I've automated as much as I can. Um, I kind of know that I'm working towards that over a 20-year time frame. But during the day, I focus on all the other aspects of my life. So I guess that's been one of the big changes I've made over the last year or two um, is sort of shifting it to the background. It doesn't need to be my main focus. Um, and I guess you also need a the big sort of challenge um, is really thinking about what are you going to do in the meantime because if it's a 20-year goal you've got to be able to fill that 20 years with lots of amazing things um, so I guess my focus was how do I want to um, intentionally design my life so I'm really happy in the meantime because I don't want to be miserable all the way up to xyz point I want to enjoy every moment of the life um, up to the point I read financial independence and beyond so I guess I've been really focused on sort of self-education because I think that's really important. Um, as someone in my 20s, I can spend more time learning. I can get another degree. I can um, do as much study. I can do internships, whatever it is. I can make the most of the my 20s while, I, while I'm in them. Um, so then I'm all set up for my 30s and whatever that throws at me. So I guess that's sort of some of the challenges that I've sort of maybe mindset shifts um, in terms of like if something's been really challenging, I guess um, maybe just sort of working out what the right level of um, sort of diversification works for me and sort of cash balance. I think um, I, I started off being the three to six months, um, which is I'd say the, the minimum. But I think over the last year, um, just after COVID, I've realized that I really want actually a higher cash buffer to feel secure and sleep at night. Um, and I just think after, like I, I was made redundant last year, but seeing so many people lose their jobs and struggling. And if we didn't have JobKeeper and JobSeeker, um, everyone would have been a whole lot worse off last year. And so I think that just made me go, well, yes, I could, I'm sort of an opportunity cost by not having some of this extra money invested in the market, but it increases my sleep at night factor and I feel more um, comfortable with my sort of portfolio design having more cash side than I did sort of previously. Yeah. Are you still on track to retiring at 40? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it sort of sort of fluctuates. Um, <laughs> I guess I <laughs> had a whole heap of money set aside for my trip that I, I didn't have to spend on the trip. So mm. who knows when that'll happen now. But yeah, I guess at the, 
at the moment, I think I'm still on track um, for 40. Who knows? Might I mean, that, that plan wasn't including any potential pay rises in the future or um, any like anything. So um, maybe I'll get there even earlier. Who knows? Yeah, that's fantastic. What? How important is frugality and minimalism? And can you just separate the two? For a moment because i know those two the two have different connotations but i i prefer to go with minimalism rather than frugality because everybody thinks there's only one particular way to achieve fire and that's being extremely frugal you just break that down for us yeah i guess they're probably different mindsets as well the minimalism movements gained a lot of popularity um and minimalists aren't necessarily frugal because they're focusing on uh consuming less and they might go, well, this is a, an amazing outfit. I'm going to spend a bit more on it because it's going to last me a really, really long time where frugal is kind of the approach where just spend as little as possible. And, um, yeah, like it would be meal planning, everything, not going out too much, maybe only going out a few times a year, um, not really buying many new clothes. I guess everyone's approaches are a bit different, but it's just spend as little as possible so you can increase your savings rate to sort of 70 or 80% of your income. Um, I'm definitely not the, the frugal <laughs> type. I, I definitely, <laughs> uh, I like buying new books. I like going for coffees and going out. So I think, and some people really enjoy being frugal and pursuing financial independence that way. And there's, if you have a look at the frugal woods um, online, they talk a lot about their frugal approach to financial independence. And there's also an Australian blogger called Frugality and Freedom. But I, I think it's really just everyone's got to work out what's the right uh, balance for them. So you will have to, you're not going to achieve financial independence without making some changes, but you've got to work out what's the priority. And if going out a lot is a priority, well, can you cut down in your food um, and can you cut down in your travel costs? Can you cut down in your housing costs? So it's back to sort of Ramit Sethi's idea of the money dials where you can turn up the dial and spend more in something you really love. Mm. And sort of conversely, you're going to have to spend less in the areas, in other areas of your life. So you're not going to be able to spend it 100% in every single section of your life where you're going to have no money to save. Um, and I guess that's the minimalism is more of that consumption side i mean i guess frugality is focused on consuming less but um yeah i guess minimalism is almost a different mindset and that's kind of a different community altogether mm. um if if you sort of just think on the online world but there's a few documentaries on uh, netflix that you've probably watched about <laughs> minimalism um sort of just the the consuming less but getting quality items so um yeah you, you're going to spend maybe more money, but make sure you get something that's going to last you a long time and have less impact on the environment over time. Yeah, no, that's that's a beautiful distinction, actually. I've, I find the frugal movement is more really, it has more stingy type of connotations to it, more like mm -hmm. self-depriving type of um, association, whereas minimalism is more of a... a mental mindset whereas in anti-consumerism everything is very intentional you're purchasing because you because mm. some, this, this means something to you and it yeah that's, speak to that remit that's a good way to yeah. think about it yeah like being more intentional rather than just yeah i guess frugal is just like what can you cut out like cutting Correct. out is, it's like going without where minimalism is i'm going with but intentionally yeah so i guess that's kind of different ways of thinking about it. and i think 
yeah, I mean, a lot about your journey to financial independence will have to be about making fun intentional decisions every sort of step along the way. Um, you might be able to go here, but what you might have to sort of sacrifice something here. Um, because, I mean, if no one had to sacrifice anything, we'd all be financially independent, but there is some sacrifice involved. You're going to have to work out how much is too much sacrifice um, for your lifestyle, for your family. Um, but a lot of people say, well, I don't want to cut back my spending too much, so I'll start a side hustle or I'll do something else to increase my income or I'll negotiate a pay rise or I'll move to a company or an industry that pays more. Um, I guess the the trap there is that you just start spending more because you're getting paid more. But um, if you can avoid that and you can keep spending the same amount, then you can use that extra money to invest on your financial independence journey. So, I mean, there's different horses for courses. Everyone can take a different path, but it is, I think intentionality is a really good word to take with you when you work towards financial independence. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Kate Campbell, you've been fantastic. We've covered a lot here. Thank you so much for joining me. On. <laughs> it's yeah, it's definitely been... been interesting being on the other side of the microphone. I've realized how much water I need to yeah, consume. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, how does it feel? There's <laughs> definitely a lot of, um, you just feel everything is flowing through you, did it? All the, all yeah, the... I think I definitely like being the one asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely, I mean, maybe it gives me a bit more empathy for my guests. Yes. That's good. That's a good takeaway, at least. But no, thank you. You're absolutely brilliant. It's good to have you on here. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed that episode, visit us on Instagram on Money Unpacked Podcast and subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.